Thank you, Matt. And I just want to say thank you to those who are obedient to share what God had laid on your heart. You're about to find out that they are both spot on for what we are going through today. So for those of you who don't know me, my name is Bryce. I'm one of the pastors here and I'm part of the preaching team. And if you've got your Bibles with you, and I hope that you do, you can start turning to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, to 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 5. If you don't have your Bibles, it will be up on the screens um, behind me. But before we go there, we live in a world where people are increasingly led by their hearts. They have this understanding that if they can think it, it must be objectively true and is going to lead them into beautiful wide spaces. And if experience has shown us anything, it has shown us that the light that comes out of our own hearts is utter darkness that can be felt. It is not light. And so we are not going to be following our hearts. In fact, if there was a person standing here on the stage who was probably slightly hunched over, this gnarled grin on their face, probably scars as well, and this person carries a reputation for being somebody who is deceitful, who is wicked to the point where we look at him and we think, how could you even do these things? We can't understand it. You would not go to that person and say, will you please give me wisdom and advice for my life? Will you be the guiding force? Will, will you help me to make these decisions? But enter Jeremiah 17.9 and all of a sudden we begin to see that that is the way that God describes our human hearts prior to coming to Jesus. He says the heart is deceitful above all things. Now there are a lot of deceitful things out there. And yet, he says, it is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? And so it is not your heart that is a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path. It's going to be God's word. And so we're going to be digging into our passage today and finding out what is it that God's word tells us to do? How are we to grapple with God's word? And what is the outworking of that? So 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. It says, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And they will turn away from listening to the truth and they will wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. So my first point for this morning, point number one, is God's word equips us. Right from the very beginning, what we see Paul showing us is that scripture is breathed out by God. It is in a completely different category to every other book that is out there. It is not just a historical book. It is not just something that is nice to read. It is breathed out by God. And some people might have these ideas in their mind when they approach God's word that, oh, it was just somebody thought that, they, that God was telling them to write something. Maybe it was their human intuition. But again, we are told in God's word, people were carried along by the Holy Spirit as they wrote God's word. And so because God's word is beautifully broad and all-encompassing and far-reaching, I would love for you to see how God's word describes itself. So we're going to go through a few verses here. Firstly, 
God's word initiates faith. Romans 10 verse 17 says, So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. God's word is what starts off with this new spiritual life. 1 Peter 1.23 says, Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. Next we see that it sanctifies us. God's word is able to take a person and shape and mold them more and more into the image of Christ. And so when we see Jesus the night before he is about to be crucified, he's praying in a garden and he's praying for his disciples. That's us. And he says in John 17, 17, sanctify them in the truth. Thy word is truth. We see that God's word is able to sink down into the very depths of our being. It is far more powerful than somebody just giving you a compliment, far more powerful than somebody just giving you a little bit of advice because it carries the very authority of God, which is able to sink into the depths of your heart. That's why Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. And God's word, as many of us have experienced and can testify to today, is capable and powerful enough to set the captives free. John chapter 8, verse 31 and 32 says, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And so in light of all of these things that God says about his own word, in light of its usefulness in teaching, reproof, rebuke, correction, we are now going to find out how we apply this to our lives. Because the very first thing is maybe you find yourself in the building today and you don't actually know who Jesus is. Maybe you're a new believer and you, you have some questions about the person of Christ. Where I'm going to encourage you to go is not to the world, not to other people who also don't know Jesus. Instead, we are going to go to the light of God's word. Many people have looked at nature and they can see the beauty of God's handiwork in nature. But where God has chosen to most clearly and accurately reveal who he is and what the gospel is that saves us is through his word. And so if you want to know more, you pick up God's word and you begin reading. It will change your life. And that is my story. I was a very lost 19-year-old uh, young man <laughs> studying to become a pilot. And... <laughs> I had a Bible in my room that I never used to read. I used to just carry it around for fun. And it rained for two weeks. And so there was nothing to do. I was bored. <laughs> but I decided to pick up that Bible and started reading it. Many people are saved through the preaching of God's word. But for me, I just picked it up and I began to read. And my life was completely and utterly changed from that moment forward. Reading God's word alone was enough to convince me of two things. One, that I'm far more sinful and fallen than I ever thought I was. But two... There is a way that God has made at the cost of his own son's life for me to be saved. And I was convinced that unless I put my faith and my trust in Christ, there is no way that I will ever be saved. There is power in God's word to save you, to help you to have a right relationship with God. It is the only thing that can reconcile you is the life of Christ. And when you look to scripture, you will see the beauty of Christ. There's another story that I came across while I was preparing for the sermon. And it was of a librarian who was distributing different shapes and sizes of Bibles. 
And as he was going through a forest just outside Sicily, a thug jumps out, pulls out a revolver and points it at his face. And he says, give me all of your money and start a fire. You're going to burn every book that you've got. He had no, no clue that they were Bibles. And so the librarian complies. He, he builds the fire and he gives him the money and he says, would it be okay if I just read a short passage from each of my books before I drop them into the fire forever gone? And the thug says, okay, get on with it. And so he reaches for the first Bible and he turns it to Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. And he reads it out. And as he finishes, he takes the Bible and he's about to drop it into the fire. And the thug says, wait, wait. No, that won't do. That's a good one. Give it to you. Give it to me. And he takes it. And the librarian leans forward and he takes another Bible and he turns it to 1 Corinthians 13, the great love chapter. And he reads that out and he takes the next one and he pulls it onto the Sermon on the Mount and he reads that out to the thug. And the next Bible, the Good Samaritan, the next Bible, the story of the prodigal son, God welcoming his people home. And that night, not a single book was burnt. That thug went off into the forest with a bag full of Bibles on his back, thinking that they were all different. And that's not the end of the story because this librarian came across the thug again, only this time he was a Christian minister witnessing to other people and preaching sermons. And he could draw back his testimony to one night when he had pulled a revolver and pointed it at this guy's face. And short passages of scripture had been powerful enough to grip his heart and bring him to Christ. If you want to know this Jesus, you need to be sinking your time into God's word. And this isn't just for those who don't know Jesus or those who are new and wanting to find out more. This is for us to mature in Christ. If you want to grow in your relationship with God, if you want to be really useful, a tool in the hands of God, you are going to need to make Scripture the thing that you breathe, where you have spare time and your first thought is, how can I learn more about who this God is? You will find it in God's Word. And we have to be careful. The way that we approach God's Word as well is we don't find out more to go and club somebody else with verses where they are falling short and we aren't. Because we are tempted to often fall into this category. Instead, what Jonathan Edwards says is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, must first be used on our own hearts before we attempt to use it on others. As you read through Scripture, begin pulling the planks out of your own eyes. See that this applies first and foremost to you. And then go out and take it and preach it to the rest of the world. If you look at the, the context of what is going on in our passage today, this is a letter written by Paul to Timothy, who is like a son in the Lord to him. He loves Timothy. He cares for Timothy. And he's got many accolades, has Paul. He, he was a Pharisee of Pharisees before his conversion. He'd studied under the great Gamaliel. He had quite the intellect. And when he's thinking, how do I train and equip my disciple here to go and do what God wants him to do. He is very quick to point him straight to Scripture. He does not say, the next time I'm in town, we'll meet up for coffee, and then I will teach you, and then you will know who God is. He says, no, I'm going to send you to God's Word. It is perfect. It's inerrant. It is God-breathed and fully capable of teaching you so that you will be effective in God's hands. And so Paul holds Scripture over and above human experience, and so should we. If you look at the life of Christ, you'll see the same sort of respect and love for God's Word. Jesus, when he's tempted in the wilderness, he hasn't eaten or drank anything for 40 days, 
and he's tempted by Satan. He's, he has these three questions put forward that are really tough to answer. And he, he's tempted, and Jesus goes, and three times he says, it is written, it is written, it is written. God's word, powerful enough to rebuke even Satan himself. Do not ignore God's word. And so if God's word was enough for Christ to equip him for his ministry, along with the Holy Spirit filling him, we need to see that we also need the Holy Spirit and we need God's word to interpret God's word for us. And so in light of all that scripture is, how beautifully broad it is, and how beneficial and profitable it is for us, point number two, God's word is to be preached in every season. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1 to 2 says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Paul steps up the magnitude of what he is writing about. He says, I charge you in the presence of God, preach this word. You see how useful it is? You see how profitable it is? Do not ignore it. You preach it. And what's really interesting is that this, this uh, word appearing, where it speaks about Jesus' appearing, comes from the, the Koine Greek word epiphania. It's where we get the word epiphany. It's where God enters and intervenes in a situation. Like in Matthew 2, when Jesus comes into his creation, he takes on human flesh, he epiphanias over there. And the Roman emperors used to use this word for themselves because they thought that they were deity. And so they would say, I'm going to epiphania that town. I'm going to suddenly appear and everything had better be all right. And so, of course, messengers would go out to those towns. People would scurry around like cockroaches, quickly getting everything right, sweeping the streets, cutting the grass, throwing the rubbish away. Very similar to what happens around election time. Only the difference here is that this town loved their emperor and they wanted it to be the best possible experience as their emperor comes back to their town. And so Paul uses this word. He says, you never know when the Lord Jesus Christ is going to Epiphania. Yeah, he will come back. He has told us that he has established that. But now go out and sweep their hearts. Clean their filthy garments that they are clothing themselves in for the epiphany of Christ. And how will you do that? By preaching God's word. It will not be us trying harder that will clean our hearts. It will be the Holy Spirit of God working in that person's heart, bringing dead sinners back to life so they can be reconciled with Christ. It will be the blood of Christ himself that washes their garments so that they are as white as snow. And so because of that, we are to preach God's word. This is how we prepare ourselves for the epiphania, the coming of Jesus Christ. And so you are to be ready in season and out of season. And I learned this, this lesson the hard way about three years ago. I had just begun to intern here at the church. And it was myself and Jaden as the two interns. And Matt came into our office and he said, guys, we're going to go and observe what happens up at NCO, Nahoon Community Outreach. We are going to... Uh, observe them preaching God's word and then see how they hand out food to these guys. And so this all sounded great. We head up there and I met a man called Josh, who today is a very good friend of mine, but this day not so much. He looks at myself and Jade and he looks at Matt and he says, Matt, which one of these two men are going to bring the word of God? My heart sank. 
And I jumped in and I said, wait a minute, I'm here to observe. You know, using the same word, hoping Matt would go, ah, yes, you know. No, no, Josh quickly went and he quoted this exact word, preach the word, be ready, in season and out of season. It's not a figurative verse. It is quite literal. And you are to be ready in season and out of season. My only defense left was there's only five minutes. He says, you've got a whole five minutes. And that taught me two very important lessons that day. Firstly, that you as a Christian are not called to just observe. You are not. Once you have seen the beauty of this God-breathed word, and once it has uh, really dwelt in your soul and transformed you and shaped you into the image of Christ, you are then charged to take this word of God and to go and to preach it. And the second thing that I learned that day was you must be ready in season and out of season. Make sure that you are aware that the Holy Spirit could begin to use you as a mouthpiece for God at any moment. And I'm telling you this now because I know that we are heading into holidays. And so in good faith, I'm believing that God is going to give many of you opportunities to witness to people. It may be to your crazy uncles and aunts that come for those family dinners that you're hoping sort of don't make it. It may be while you're on holiday, while you are busy shopping, or you are on your way to a busy and important meeting, when all of a sudden the Holy Spirit of God will latch onto a lost sinner and they will begin asking questions because they are convicted of their sin and for the first time they see their need for a Savior to save them. It may just be at those moments. The Holy Spirit is like the wind. He goes where he pleases. And if we can't even stick to our own perfect idealistic little schedules, don't expect God's Holy Spirit to. He does as he pleases. And he will use you on work time and off work time. My, my third point for today is that God's word is twisted to our own destruction. And what I mean by that is that there are going to be people who see how God's word is special and God-breathed and profitable for us. But there are going to be other people where as you preach God's word, they are not going to agree with you. Paul even says that there are going to be those who come to church and the moment they feel challenged, the moment they feel like they need to change because their lifestyle doesn't line up to what God's word says, they choose to change the teacher. And so here's what he says in verse 3 and 4. He says, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. What Paul is telling us here, that it's not necessarily that the preacher is going to be wrong or that the word that he's bringing is incorrect, but rather... People twist God's word when Christ is not enough. They do not see the true value of Christ. Christ, as he is revealed in Scripture, is what we need in our hearts and in our lives. That is what is going to change us. And we will never have enough Sundays to actually go through all the beauty of Christ as he is contained in Scripture. But people go and they will desert God's word. They will desert these teachers, rather, because they will search for teachers who will tell them what their itching ears want to hear. And I want you to notice the progression that is mentioned here. Paul goes and he says they will no longer endure sound teaching, which means that for a certain period, they are there. They are listening to God's word being preached. But then they change it up. They don't no longer endure sound teaching and go to no teaching. No, no. Many of these guys 
leave sound teaching for false teaching. They still want to live with the idea that they are saved by God, that they love God, and that everything's going well between them and God. But they will not be conformed to the whole counsel of God's word. And so when you find these, these movements, these people where money or divine health or the praise of a certain main pastor becomes central to that whole church, know that Christ is not central. And that is a critical error. We are to make sure that we are preaching the whole counsel of God's word to be a well-rounded Christian. God's word is perfect. It need not be tampered with. My fourth and final point for today is that God's word mobilizes us. Paul has told us how amazing this God-breathed word is, how profitable it is, how it will train us and teach us. He has charged us to preach this word in light of uh, all that it can do. And he then goes and he says, for those of you who will take this call seriously, those of you who are genuine followers of Christ, know that you are going to need to endure suffering and to be sober-minded in those moments. You are going to be preaching God's word and they won't necessarily agree with you. And that is why it says, even in the chapter above, 2 Timothy 3.12, it says, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. But in light of all this, once you have taken God's word and you have brought it near to you, and you've examined it closely for yourself, and you've seen the gospel and that saved you, and you've seen the beauty of Christ, you are then charged to take this word and to go and make it known to the rest of the world. And I'm going to give you an illustration today that I hope you never forget. What happened about three or four weeks ago is myself and Joe went off to the gym, and towards the end of our session, things felt a bit different. I reached behind and found out there was a massive rip in the back of my shorts. Not ideal. And uh, I went and put a, a towel around my waist and sprinted pretty much to the change rooms, and came back here, and I thought, you know what, let me show Mark Wood, because he'll probably appreciate this. And it was quite funny. And so, the very same pair of shorts, washed and cleaned, I go and I say, Mark, you've got to see this. <laughs> I said, so Joe and I were doing, this is what happened. And I show him, and he takes this pair of shorts into his hands, and you can imagine Mark's massive grin spreading across his face as he looks at this. And he sprints down the passage. Joe, look what happened to Bryce. Debbie, look. And he goes to the other officers. He goes, look what happened. And he comes back with tears streaming down his face. And he said these words. It's too good not to share. It is too good not to share. And I have to remind you that as Christians, what you have been given is so much greater than Bryce's ripped gym shorts. You have been given the beauty and the glory of Christ. You have been given this relationship with Jesus. And you have this gospel that is not only there to just save you and keep you comfortable. You have this gospel that is there for you to take close, look, and go and show the world and say it's too good not to share. I'm going to take this gospel. And I'm going to speak to as many people as I possibly can so that they might also come to know who Jesus is. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you so much for your word. 
We thank you for the beautiful depth that your word has, the power that it has, and that you have preached to our hearts from your word. But Lord, I pray that we would not keep this word to ourselves. Lord, I pray that we would not be put off by those who reject not us, but you and your gospel and your word. Would we bring our Bibles close to our hearts? Would we read them and know them? And would we take the gospel that we find in your word to the ends of this earth? Because it is too good not to share. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.